my husband and I, in 2012, we visited Hunter Valley in Australia. And I just remember falling in love with the wine Shiraz there, which is the same grape as Syrah. And so when I came back to the States and it was time to make a decision on what wine I wanted to play around with for my first vintage, I wanted to stick to a wine that I had fallen in love with during my travels and the Shiraz that I was drinking back in Australia, you know, almost 10 years ago now. And so that was my, uh, my decision in, in what grape varietal to use. So now we get to try some wine. Gotta love that sound. Yes, indeed. Welcome to the Stoll Reeves Deeply Rooted Podcast. I'm your host, Marissa Moeller, a water and land use attorney and a member of Stoll Reeves Agribusiness, Food and Beverage, and Timber Industry Group. This season, we're interviewing respected industry leaders and discussing how they and their companies are embracing innovation and capitalizing on new opportunities to move their industries forward in an ever-changing world. Subscribe at Stoll.com. That's S-T-O-E-L.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Greetings, listeners. Welcome to this episode of the Stoll Reeves Deeply Rooted Podcast. I'm your host, Marissa Moeller. My guest today is Meg Woolley, a winemaker based in Portland, Oregon, and owner of Flip Turn Cellars. Meg comes from a business background, and she is the co-owner of the digital advertising agency Intentional Spark. Meg found her passion for wine beginning in her early 20s, and in 2019, decided to take the leap to see if she could turn this passion into a second career. Meg launched her own wine label, Flip Turn Cellars, which specializes in small production big reds inspired by the wines she has fallen in love with throughout her travels over the years. In this episode, Meg and I will discuss her experience starting her own wine label after a first career and some of the challenges and opportunities she sees for new commercial winemakers. And I'm excited. At the end of the podcast, we'll have an opportunity to taste her newly released 2020 Syrah. Meg, thanks so much for being here today. Thank you so much for having me, Marissa. I'm excited. Me too. So I'd like to start today with the name of your wine label, Flip Turn Cellars. I love that name because I think it so perfectly encapsulates your business and your journey toward professional winemaking. Can you tell us a bit about your background and how you came up with the name Flip Turn Cellars? Yeah. So great question. And before I kind of talk about my background, I was a former competitive swimmer all through my childhood and college. And so thus the reason flip turn sellers, because flip turns a fun swimming term. But before I get to the why behind that, I'll just share briefly about my background. I went to business school um, in a small business school out in Boston growing up. And from there, I transferred into business management consulting right out of college. And shortly, you know, five years into my career, my husband and I both quit our corporate jobs and started our digital advertising agency, Intentional Spark, where we specialize in Facebook and Instagram ads for clients across a variety of industries, as well as organic and content marketing for our clients. And so, you know, with this all being said, I have always come from the business background and a marketing background. And I had this increasing passion for wine over the years and, it, you know, these last few years diving into the wine industry and then deciding to launch my own label and make my own wine is the reasoning behind my term flip turn sellers for the label name because it was an, a really unexpected turn in my career and an, a flip in my 
in my everyday life, in my profession, and something that really took me by surprise later on in my career. And so that's the name. And then, of course, it ties in with the swimming and being the the fun swim term. And I thought it was just a fun zippy name when I was coming up with labeled names. I agree. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, on the topic of it being such a major flip turn, I will be honest with you. When I think about diving in, um, to use another maybe swimming pun (laughs) here, when I think about diving into professional winemaking, it just sounds like a completely overwhelming endeavor. You know, we live in a region that is famous already for excellent wines, and there are so many renowned winemakers in this space. And on top of that, you have, you know, the capital costs of starting a new business, the multi-year investment of your time before you can even sell your product. You're babysitting a perishable product for multiple years. Oh, yeah. And then you just have the sheer physical labor of being a winemaker. For someone interested in make, who is interested in making their own wine professionally, where do you even start? How did you get this idea in your head? Yeah. So, you know, I don't know if my, if my way of doing things is the best way for new individuals, but for me, it was all about learning as much as I could. So, you know, I had an increasing passion for wine over the years and it started to feel more like a calling when I moved to Oregon because there is such a vibrant wine scene here with being in close proximity to the Willamette Valley and all these other wine regions around the Pacific Northwest. And for me, you know, as soon as I realized that I wanted to take this to the next level and not just be a consumer, I enrolled in the WSET curriculum, which is a curriculum that trains uh, wine professionals on how to eventually get their SOM certification. And for me, you know, I wasn't certain that I wanted to go down the SOM route, but I did know that there was a lot to learn. And so I just wanted to be a sponge, learn as much as possible. And by doing that curriculum, I got to really see a whole all the different areas of the wine industry. And, you know, as I was going down the WSET curriculum, I took level one, two, and three. I then started reaching out to different wineries in the area, wine bars, really anywhere where I could get my foot in the door and just took on whatever job was hiring at the time in a part-time capacity because I was still and am still managing um, my business, Intentional Spark. And so for me, though, I wanted to get in at the ground level at any, you know, tasting room that would have me, um, any winery that would have me. And then I also was a harvest volunteer at several wineries here in Oregon just to, you know, see what it was that I wanted to do. And so I think for me, it was trying to get involved in any area that I could in the industry to really explore what it was at that, you know, where my passion was leading me. And it wasn't until I stepped foot as a harvest volunteer in 2019 into in a few wineries and immediately got the winemaking bug and was just hooked from there. And so I, I would recommend for anyone looking to get into the wine industry or winemaking, just try to learn as much as you can, get some education under your belt and reach out to different companies and just see if they're hiring and we'll take on someone to work in their tasting room and I really just through doing that, it's opened up so many doors for me and has really been instrumental in in my professional development in the industry. Well, and I would imagine that just starting the process of being a winemaker, it hasn't been perfectly smooth sailing the whole time. Have there been challenges along the way? And what are some of those challenges? 
Yeah. You know, I think for me, the biggest challenge, and I think everyone gets this from time to time in their career, but especially if you're starting out in a brand new career later in life, and that is just the imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. And I had it from day one. And so, you know, launching my own label a year into winemaking was a bit insane. And I've battled with that imposter syndrome every step along the way. But you know, I think for me, I try not to look at anything as a failure and just see it all as a learning opportunity. And then, you know, also just my experience in the industry, I am still really new and I, I have yet to, or I haven't, or I didn't step foot into a winery until 2019 and just learning the chemistry and the science behind winemaking, how to use facility equipment and not mess anything up in the winery as I'm learning, you know, was a really big challenge and was incredibly intimidating. And it continues to be. Um, but I am, as I'm just taking those risks more and more every day, I am getting more comfortable with it. But, you know, the imposter syndrome is still very much there. I'm just hoping it goes away over time. Well, I think that's something that so many of us can relate to yeah, in our absolutely. professions. So I'm struck that you've talked a bit about just the people who've given you opportunities. And it sounds like so much of your professional journey has actually just been about building relationships and then seizing those opportunities mm -hmm. that come from those relationships. So what's your approach been to building those relationships and who have some of your mentors been? Yeah. So, you know, for me, I, I was starting at ground zero in the wine industry back when I was taking the WSET curriculum and for me, it was really just putting myself out there as much as possible, um, whether it be, you know, applying for jobs at different tasting rooms, just going to wine events, whether they were just tastings here and there at New Seasons here in Portland. Mm -hmm. I also would go to wine conferences to try to meet people, even though I didn't really have a place in the industry at the time. And then just meeting winemakers and people in the industry along the way and getting their email, inviting them out for coffee or wine because everyone loves right. going out and drinking <laughs> wine. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, for a lack of a better word, I feel like I just pestered a bunch of people. I would immediately email them and be like, hey, let's get together. I would love to pick your brain. And, you know, really, I never thought of myself as someone who's good at networking, but this was something that I was really passionate about. And so I wanted to learn from as many people and talk to as many people and get their insights about how they entered the industry and entered winemaking. And those relationships over time have really helped me get to where I am today in my business because it wasn't so, you know, it's now turned. I used to always be reaching out to people to, to make those connections and to get some coffee dates on the books. But now I feel like people are reaching out to me and I feel, I feel that I'm slowly becoming a part of the community. And so, yeah, I, I really just think that getting uncomfortable with the uncomfortable and just putting yourself out there and trying to meet as many people as possible in every ass in, in every different area of the industry has been wildly helpful for me. That that makes perfect sense. Yeah. And it sounds like the experience of kind of finding your footing and becoming part of that community, it's been really affirming. Yeah. Yeah. And I know you asked too about mentors. And honestly, I've met so many people in the industry who are very involved mentors in my career. And then some who just, we talk once or twice a year, but those conversations are still very meaningful. And so, yeah, I, I wish I could name some, but there's honestly, I, I think everyone in the wine industry has been a mentor to me because they all come with more experience and 
more stories and knowledge that they've shared with me over the last couple of years. And so mm-hmm. I think to to that question, you know, it's I I try to pull insights from everyone that I can. So well, and such a good reminder that you can be a mentor whether you know it or not. Absolutely. And I think my goal is just someday I will be able to mentor someone else coming into the industry who I may know more than they do at the stage that they're in. And because right now I feel like the new kid on the block still. And so, yeah, I think it would be really cool down the line to to kind of have that that fl- that script be flipped. Mm-hmm. So flip turn. Yeah, I was going to say <laughs> yeah. flip turn. Well, so along these lines, you know, of relationship building and mentorship, mm-hmm. I know that you've been receiving quite a bit of press recently um, as part of this new generation of women winemakers. So winemaking has historically been, and frankly, it still is, uh, an extremely male-dominated industry. Um, what's your experience been as a woman entrepreneur working in this space and making your own wine? I think, you know, here in Portland, it has been incredibly supportive. I currently work in a custom crush facility that is all women winemakers. And also, you know, just through going to conferences and meeting people in the industry, there is such a a strong support group in the community for females in the workspace. And I, you know, there's female-led conferences and there are even events that cater to all women winemakers. And I recently did kind of a soft launch of my wine label with a group of four other women winemakers that were all starting up their own labels. And it was an event that one of my good friends, Elena of Woven Wine Works, just wanted to put on for the public. And she was like, here are five women winemakers that are all new to releasing their labels and come join us. And we did a big tasting. And it's just, you know, it's moments like that that make me feel a part of something in this community. And I think that women winemakers here in Oregon have all been extremely welcoming and have been really helpful in my professional development in this industry. And we kind of have this whole mentality of we're in this together and we're always uplifting one another on social media and sharing news of other women out there and what they're doing. And so I think for me, I've seen it. I've only had really positive experiences in in the women in wine space. That's that's fantastic. And, you know, something I can relate to as a, a woman in the law. At the same time, I think the flip side of that is I can imagine it becomes a bit exhausting to receive so much professional attention because of your gender and to be labeled a woman winemaker, um, even if that attention is positive and it helps to grow your business. So I guess I'm wondering how successfully or not you think the winemaking industry is kind of balancing those issues and navigating these difficult issues of diversity and inclusion. Yeah, you know, I think just like any industry and maybe even more so in the wine space, I think that there are there's a lot of work that still needs to be done with diversity and inclusion in the wine industry. And, you know, I think that we live in a very unique area of the states here in Oregon. And I think they you know, you're seeing so much emphasis in the industry and from a consumer standpoint on you know, supporting people in the industry and making it a more diverse and inclusive environment for these professionals. But I don't think that that's the case everywhere else Mm -hmm. in the United States or in the world. And I, you know, going back to diversity and inclusion, I think it's really refreshing to see 
a lot being done right now to um, foster that environment in this industry. But I still think that there's a lot we can be doing and there still needs to be improvement. And but I think it's very much like that with any other industry that, you know, you can. Yeah. Off the top of my head. Yeah. So. Sure. Okay. Well, let's switch gears and talk a little bit about the business aspects of professional winemaking. So positioning yourself to sell wine to the public is obviously very different than just making wine as a hobby. Um, So what are some of the business challenges that you've navigated as an entrepreneurial winemaker? And what advice do you have for other winemakers who are potentially interested in starting their own businesses? Yeah. So I think for me, it was a huge shift and a big learning curve, Um, not only selling an alcoholic beverage, but also just moving from the digital advertising space where our business sells a digital service and transitioning that into selling a physical product, let alone it being alcohol and having to jump through a lot of legal red tape and compliance around selling alcohol, both here in Oregon as well as out of the state. And so for me, it was just diving in, doing a ton of research and, you know, really just trying to figure things out step by step as I was getting close to launching my product. And as far as the advice that I would give to anyone else is obviously do as much research as you as you possibly can, but also hire a lawyer. It it is pricey. And if you're um, if you're on a shoestring budget, which so many entrepreneurs are, it can be challenging, but also it's really nice to not have like to be able to sleep at night knowing that I have done things by the book and I have someone there advocating for me. So that would be, you know, I I know it's not in everyone's um, in everyone's budget, but I will say, you know, to to get a lawyer if you can, just because that's that has been so, um, yeah, just very helpful in -hmm. in just having that peace of mind. Well, and I'll say it helps your lawyer sleep at night, too, if you talk sooner rather than later and can kind of work yes. through these compliance issues on the front end yeah. and t- before there's a big problem. Yeah. And I think too, you know, I may not have a lawyer in five years from now once I figure everything out, but as I'm new in the industry and just getting started, it's been really helpful just because, you know, you can do a lot of research, but there's still always that question of if you read the right article, if it did, if it gave you the right advice. And, right. you know, when I when you are working with a physical product that is highly reg- regulated, like alcohol, there is that extra layer of concern. It's kind of like when you have a headache and you go on WebMD and absolutely, you, know, you might have cancer, or maybe just a headache. Yeah. So there's a lot good, of rabbit holes. You, you can go, you get go to know what today. <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> Well, what about the pandemic? Have you experienced any unique challenges um, trying, you know, starting up your business essentially right before the pandemic? So obviously the pandemic was really hard on everyone in the wine industry from people who worked in uh, the service side and restaurants and bars because everything shut down. And then you had the winemakers who were trying to sell their products, but events were shut down, uh, markets were shut down and really any way for them to get out there in front of their clients, uh, those ways were all taken away from them during the pandemic. And so I was a bit lucky in the sense that I was making my wine during the pandemic and I'm just now starting to sell it. So, you know, things now that COVID, it's still very much with us, but we're a little bit behind it now and things are opening back up. And I, I think for me, I was fortunate in that situation to now have that 
you know, more opportunities available to me to sell my wine than so many of my peers had when, you know, when they were trying to get out there in 2020. But I will say, you know, another fortunate thing that happened during the pandemic is when I was working as a harvest volunteer in 2019, I um, was working at this facility down in the inner Southeast in Portland, Helioterra. And as we were looking forward into 2020, I told the winemaker I was really interested in continuing to learn from her and make wine at her facility. And so she actually invited me into her space in 2020 to um, to make a ton of wine, which is about 50 cases of Syrah. And so it was a really unique opportunity. But because it was a pandemic, she didn't want to bring in a bunch of harvest volunteers into the facility because everyone was social distancing and quarantining. And so she had me be her kind of unofficial seller hand for the entire harvest season. And besides myself and her, we were the only people in the winery. And it was an all hands on deck situation. And I think for me, because it was the pandemic and we weren't bringing on additional help into the winery, it really served as a good opportunity for me because I was learning. This was my first year really learning how to make wine. And I was just being thrown so many tasks and responsibilities. I don't think I ever would have had exposure to had we not, you know, had she not wanted to have a really small team due to the pandemic. And so, you know, I think the pandemic, it was so tough on so many people in the industry and really so many industries out there. But for me, it did, it was kind of a really good learning opportunity in the winery. And then, you know, now um, I'm hoping that there'll be doors that will open as I'm selling my wine and and things are starting to open back up. So, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, that was my kind of personal experience with the pandemic. So a little bit of a silver lining there. Yeah, absolutely. Like. Yeah. Well, so the other thing I've been thinking is in the last handful of years during the pandemic, we also had a bunch of extreme weather events and those have affected so many of our clients who are wine growers, but also Mm -hmm. just other agricultural producers. How have those challenges affected your winemaking as you're, you know, planning multiple years ahead before you can sell a product? Yeah. So, you know, right now, or looking back at 2020, we had in the Willamette Valley, so many fires and it impacted so many winemakers production. And luckily I was making wine out in Eastern Washington and they were hit with a lot of fires, but not as much as here in the Willamette Valley, but smoke taint in the wine was still a concern. And so as I was preparing to make my wine, you know, there was certain decisions we had to make in the winery to ensure that smoke wasn't getting into the final product. And so, you know, we inoculated with commercial yeast to, cr- to try and keep the fermentation process really quick to get the wine off of its skins, because in winemaking, the skin is where it'll hold any flavors of smoke or aromas of smoke. And so there were certain winemaking techniques I had to do in 2020 to really ensure that I wasn't getting any smoke taint in my final product. And then, you know, 2021, we had all of the heat waves through Washington, through Oregon, and harvest ended up being really early in the growing season. And, you know, now looking forward, I think after 2020 and 2021 with these extreme weather conditions that we've been faced with out in the Pacific Northwest, I think 
Weather is something that I've never been obsessed with, but I certainly am <laughs> obsessed with now. I look at my phone and the weather channel almost daily and you know, we're all a little shell-shocked, I think, from the last couple of years and just this trajectory that we're heading towards with climate change. And so, yeah, I think it's uh, the weather and climate is on every winemaker's mind right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but hope my my fingers are crossed that it'll be, you know, there'll be some great vintages coming up in the in the years to come. Any thoughts about how this year is looking? Um, well, you know, right now in the Willamette Valley, because of that frost, that giant frost and snowstorm that we had here in Oregon in, what was it, April, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that a lot of the, the yield this year is going to be really low in the Willamette Valley just because there was so much frost damage that happened during that time. And, you know, luckily there's been a lot of rain this year. And so I'm hoping that fires aren't as prevalent as they were back in 2020. And then, you know, it's still really early to tell in the season, but there there have been cool temperatures. So perhaps that's going to lead to a later harvest this coming year and longer hang time of the fruit, which hopefully will develop some really nice flavors for the fruit that is available for the winemakers. And so, yeah, you know, it's still, like I said, very early, but I think it's going to be a really good harvest for even though yields are low this year, I think the wine that will be made is going to be really great wine. Okay. Good to hear yeah. as a wine drinker and yeah. someone who cares about the region. Yeah. And a consumer. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Well, so you mentioned kind of entering this new phase of marketing your product mm-hmm. now that it's actually ready to be drunk and we're going to drink it in a minute. And I'm very yes, excited about that. Um, but I wanted to ask about your your approach to digital marketing. You know, your label has a very kind of fun and approachable digital presence. And I'm wondering how your business background and specifically your background in digital marketing has informed that approach about how you communicate with your customers about your wine. Yeah, I think for me, you know, one thing I learned through my years in the marketing space is that customers really want to be a part of the journey and they want to, they want what really resonates with customers is that storytelling of the brand. And so when I was launching Flip Turn Sellers, I really took those principles into mind with my own business. And, you know, I don't as a winemaker shy away from the fact that I'm really new in this industry and I don't pretend to be an expert on social media or on my website and how I market myself. You know, I tell my customers, this is my first vintage. This is the first time I've ever stepped foot in a winery and decided against all odds and everyone's advice to get a commercial license and do this for real. And I think, you know, I want people to be a part of that story and to be a part of my winemaking journey. I want people to, you know, pick up a flip turn bottle, see that it's my first vintage and be like, you know what, I'm really excited to be a part of this with Meg and I want to see what she's capable of. And I'm going to continue to come back year after year and see how she develops as a winemaker. And so I think for me, it's um, what I've really taken from my marketing background is to be authentic and also to really tell a story to your customers and make them a part of the story of your brand and make them a part of that journey. And yeah, so I think that those kind of were my main takeaways. And then the other takeaway is just be out there on social media. I know we all hate social media from time to time, but it really is the best way to reach your customers and to have 
conversations. I can't tell you the amount of people in the industry and consumers that I have met just on Instagram, just by DMing and having a conversation or, you know, learning about their company and through their feed. And so really, you know, the power of social media is so important in almost any industry, especially in winemaking, where people want to see the wine being made. They want to see the product out there at their local farmer's markets, and they want to be a part of the process. Mm-hmm. So. Well, speaking of being part of the process and going on a journey with Meg, um, can can we try your wine? Absolutely. Can we go on a journey? Yes, we may go on a journey. Let's I'm do just it. just going to take a second to open this. So while you're opening that, can you tell us a little bit about what we're going to taste? Yeah. So this is my first vintage, uh, Flip Turn Cellars 2020 Syrah, and it is from the Columbia Valley in Washington, um, more specifically the Yakima Valley in Washington, which is out in eastern Washington. It's a very hot and dry region, and it's going to produce very big style red wines. And this wine, um, I really, you know, I got it from an excellent vineyard and it is aged 16 months in neutral oak. And I wanted to use neutral oak because I thought with neutral oak, it wouldn't impart any oak flavors into the wine. And I really wanted, you know, knowing that it was coming from such a good vineyard, I wanted to really let the fruit shine on its own and not overpower it with oaky flavors. And so that's kind of how um, I handled my production, just really low intervention, simple winemaking techniques, especially being a new winemaker and learning as I go. I didn't want to try anything crazy in my first go, but really just learn those traditional low intervention methods um, in winemaking. And so, yeah, so this is my wine. And I made this Syrah because, um, like we were saying earlier, my Flip Turn Cellar brands, I'm trying to make wines that are all inspired by places that I've traveled. And my husband and I, in 2012, we visited Hunter Valley in Australia. And I just remember falling in love with the wine Shiraz there, which is the same grape as Syrah. And so when I came back to the States and it was time to make a decision on what wine I wanted to play around with for my first vintage, I wanted to stick to a wine that I had fallen in love with during my travels. And the Shiraz that I was drinking back in Australia, you know, almost 10 years ago now. And so that was my, uh, yeah, my decision in, in what grape varietal to use. So now we get to try some wine. Gotta love that sound. Yes, indeed. And I brought an aerator to decant it a little bit because I obviously did not have access to a decanter prior to this, but being a very young wine, especially a big, robust red, it does need to open up a bit in the glass. And so I always recommend to customers when they're purchasing my wine to either decant it for a couple hours prior to serving, or you can use a speedy aerator, which I brought here for in the studio today, or just hold on to it. This wine will cellar really nicely for up to 10, 20 years even. I mean, it, it's going to age really remarkably, which I'm excited about. And that sound is the aerator right now. (laughs) (laughs) That's probably good to clarify for folks who aren't, who don't have a visual. We're here in the studio with our producers, Brian and Dan, who are also going to try this wine. Well, I hope you all like it. So I'm seeing a very kind of raspberry red, dark. Yeah. Syrah is known for being really inky. 
And as far as what it's going to pair nicely with, you know, it's a big, robust red and it has beautiful kind of blackberry and blueberry notes, as well as some licorice and some baking spices in there. And for me, I think it pairs beautifully with burgers. You know, your red meat, just delicious, delicious during the summertime. I know a lot of people don't gravitate towards heavy reds during the summer, but it pairs so well with barbecue, with burgers, with cheese plates. And it's, yeah, extremely food friendly, I think, and kind of pairs. Actually, the best pairing is with lamb, and that is my favorite red meat. Oh, yeah. And so, yeah. I could definitely see that. Yep. Well, and I'm also noting, I think that it's going to be fun to see how this ages and how it changes in the coming years. Yeah, absolutely. And what do you think of it? I think it's delicious. Okay. That's some nice acidity. You tell me if that's the wrong term. No, that's perfect. You're you're a pro. It's kind of bright, and I could see it going well with, I I think it is a summer red Mm -hmm. wine. Good. I'm very glad to hear that. Yeah. So, but you have to say that you're interviewing me, so you well, gotta be polite. I don't. Now. I don't have to say that. <laughs> so, if this wine were a movie star, Meg, who do you think it would be? So, I actually had to really think about this, but I'm going with Beanie Feldstein. She is. Oh, I you, love that. Yeah. So, if you don't know um, Beanie, she is Jonah Hill's sister. She's a comedian, and she's known for her roles in Neighbors Two, as well as a best friend in Lady Bird. And the movie Booksmart. And what I love about her is she's bold. She's funny. She's really approachable. She is, you know, a fairly new actress. And so for me, being a woman in winemaking, I had to pick an actress. And then I wanted to pick someone who was up and coming in in her fame. And so and also someone who was very fun and approachable, which I think is kind of the ethos behind my brand Flip Turn Sellers. And I think we're going to be seeing more of her in the years to come, which hopefully you should be seeing more of me. Nice. Yeah. Well, I didn't have an answer to that question, but now that you say it, that's exactly who I would pick as well. Okay. I love it. Well, Meg, before we wrap up today, what's next for your business? Yeah. So you are trying right now my 2020 Syrah from um, Columbia Valley, and I'm going to be selling that starting in mid-June, both in Oregon as well as shipping out of state. So if you are interested in buying, you can do that through my website as well as find me on Instagram at Flip Turn Sellers. And then I also uh, made a larger production in 2021. And so I have about uh, three barrels worth of Cabernet Franc that is currently aging in barrel from the 2021 harvest. And then I also made a Cabernet and That's also aging in barrel currently and about three barrels worth. So that's going to be about another 175 cases coming out this time next year. And then for 2022 harvest, I'm looking to play around with making some white wine. Usually, you know, I've been gravitating and focused on the big reds, but I think for my winemaking career, it's really important for me to learn all sides of the business. And so I am going to be making white wine this year to really learn that side of the winemaking process because making white wine is drastically different than making red wine. And also you can get it on the market quicker, which is great from Mm. a business standpoint because barrel aging wine for 16 months is definitely a waiting game. And I've had to practice a lot of patience in these last two vintages. And so I think it'll be really fun to add a a white wine to my roster and then just to um, 
yes, to to experiment with a whole new wine style. So that's that's it for me. Well, I'm excited. And Thank maybe, you. and one final question. I know that for this first vintage, you decided to hand label all of your bottles, hand oh, yeah. number them. Will you yep. be doing that with your future vintages? Probably so. not because <laughs> versus 600 bottles, I'm probably going to have about 1500 bottles for my upcoming vintage. So no, <laughs> we don't need any repetitive stress injuries. No, no. Just to get your wine to market. Absolutely. So that'll... No more hand numbering each bottle. But if you purchase my, if you purchase any flip turn sellers, the 2020 vintage, you will have a special little, you know, signature on the back label of each number that uh, the bottle represents. So, yeah. Wonderful. Well, Meg, thank you so much for your time today and uh, for being here with us and for sharing your wine. It's been such a delight. Thank you for having me, Marissa. Cheers. Thank you for listening to the Stoll Reeves Deeply Rooted podcast. To follow along and get additional insights from each episode, visit stole.com. That's S-T-O-E-L.com. Please also take a moment to rate and subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. The views expressed on this podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and may not reflect the views of Stoll Reeves LLP. Participation in this podcast by any individual is not an endorsement of any view or opinion expressed. This is not legal advice, and the podcast doesn't create an attorney-client relationship. 